It's time for a change. God offers His people a change that can only be described as spiritual awakening. Join Jackson First Baptist as we discover the path of spiritual awakening. Here's what the scripture says. Now Jesus in verse 23 of Matthew 4 began to go all over Galilee. Matthew is summarizing Jesus' entire ministry. You know that Jesus brought the greatest spiritual awakening the world would ever know. And the scripture says he began to go all over Galilee. He was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news <clears throat> excuse me, of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics. And he, now notice, he healed them. One translation says he healed them all. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Let me tell you, as I look at this text for a moment, there are three things I want you to see as you get up close to Jesus. One is this, that Jesus took the first step. It was Jesus who went out and began to minister. Now listen to me. Some of you may wrongly think that, when you, that, that I'm saved because you took the first step. I want to tell you that's not correct at all. For anybody who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know it was He who sought you. Romans 3 and 10 says, no one seeks after God, that we've all turned away, but God seeks after us. Listen to me. Awakening came to that world because it was the perfect time. You say, what do you mean? The world was in bondage because of many wars that had come, and those wars left the people of Israel in bondage. It was not only that, it was a time of wickedness. Because of such wickedness, God had turned His hand away from them. They were not under, under bondage. They were broken. And so now watch, John the Baptist came along, remembers our studies together. He came along and began to wave the flag, and he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus came. Some of y'all need to amen that. Jesus came and he lit the fire, so he took the first step. Secondly, I want you to think about this about Jesus. I noticed this. Jesus' ministry was characterized by teaching, by preaching, and healing. Jesus taught. Now, Jesus was unlike any other teacher. He knew the art of teaching. When Jesus began to teach, he taught about God. He taught about life. He taught about where they were. And he taught about how that God could change their lives. And so the teaching was amazing. Understand something. The disciples would understand this. But not only did Jesus teach, Jesus was a preacher. See, there's a difference in teaching and preaching. Teaching is wonderful. Many people have the gift of teaching. But the gift of preaching is different. To preach means that you herald the truth. So some of you need to get reused again to preaching. Pastors have lost the heart to preach the Word of God because many people teach, but they don't believe what they teach. You can teach without believing what you teach, but you can't preach without believing what you teach. Well, that's a good, I didn't say that in the first service. And so here's the deal. Jesus was preaching. And as he was preaching, remember when he went by the Sea of Galilee, and there, there was Peter and Andrew with their nets, and, and he said these words to them, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Instantly, they heard the word unlike they'd ever heard it before, and they responded just like these 11 kids did this weekend. They responded to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. They not only had an immediate response, they said, God, we want to follow you with our lives, and their lives are forever changed. So that was Jesus. He was preaching, he was teaching, but you know what he was doing? He was working miracles. Now, Matthew in his, in his summary is saying this, that some people recovered health. 
miracles. Some people recovered mental health. Some people were being raised from the dead. What I find today is this, that people say they're up close in Jesus. Some people follow because they like the teaching. Some like the preaching. And some are hoping for the healing. But who has really, really been changed by God? When you get up close to Jesus, you'll discover this, that, that also that Jesus' ministry, look at this third thing I found about Jesus. Jesus' ministry exploded very quickly. When Jesus began to minister, it was not just a moment in time. It was a movement of God. I want you to hear this. Whenever you get up close in, with Jesus, there will be three things you'll find that will happen to you. There will be a message, there will be a miracle, and there will be a movement. If you are saved today, you can say at some point... There was a message that was different than any I've ever heard. There was a miracle that God brought you from spiritual death to life. How many of you can amen that? Look around the room. Amen that? You can amen that. Go to your right. Amen that. But now watch. There's not only that. There's a movement of God. You see, people were there. They, they literally, the text says they were coming from, we can say it this way, from everywhere. When the Romans read that they were coming from Syria, that meant from all different places of the known world, they were coming to Jesus. Adrian Rogers used to say it like this, the world is coming to Jesus. So some of you would say, man, I would have liked to have been a part. Now listen to this, I would have been a part of that time in life. You say, well, I said, what do you mean? Some of you would say, I, I really think it was a good season of life. No, 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 you got it wrong. You got it wrong. It's not a season of life, it is a way of life. Some of you that, that you prayed to receive Christ at some point in your life, it was a season of your life watching online, you've moved on. You said, that was a good season. I was in high school. I went on to college. It's no longer, I'm no longer in that season. The Lord knows that I belong to Him, but I'm in a different season right now. i got to work because I just have to work right now. It's a different season. I, I, I'm busy right now. I'm raising kids. I, I'm, I'm traveling right now. I'm doing all these things. And I'm like, Pastor Eric, God's going somewhere with this. I don't know where it is, but He's going. To, I'm in a different season of life. And God says, no, 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 no. If you have really come to know me, there was a miracle in your life because of the message of the gospel, and it led you to a movement. I listed this as the pastor this weekend said, in his 70s, preaching to students still yet, I got saved and never got over it. How about you? Is your life, is your life, is your life an experience or a movement? Jesus here in this moment, sensing all this, Matthew records his first ever message given by Jesus. He records it, some, some people call it the Sermon on the Mount. Some call it the, the message of the Mount of Beatitudes. It's such a, an amazing passage that Pastor Chris has been preaching on this one sermon since last August. And he's just into chapter 6. So we could spend a long time here. But I'm going to, in two weeks' time, go with you through this message. And I want to ask you this. How up close and personal do you want to be with Jesus? Or would you just rather have a little Jesus and just live your life? Or do you want a lot of Jesus and live a miracle life? I've already made up my mind. And I hope that you'll make up your mind if you haven't, because this is what Jesus says. Look in chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. He went up on this mountain, and when he sat down. So actually what should be happening in that day, the preacher would sit down and teach, and the people would stand up. So I'm not going to ask you to do that, because you're too comfortable right now. But that we flipped it, but that's how they would do it. And the Scripture says, when he sat down, his disciples came to him, his followers. 
The crowd was there around him. Some wanted like the teaching. Some liked the preaching. Some was away. Some had just come for a miracle. They might have brought somebody with them on a stretcher for them to be healed. And I hope somebody brought somebody today as a stretcher moment. That you brought somebody to the house of God. And if you didn't, next week will be your time. It's Wednesday night to bring a student, to bring other students to the house of God for a miracle moment. And so there they were, and Jesus looked at the twelve, the, the inner group, and he spoke to them, and he said these words to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Look in the verse number four, blessed are. Verse five, blessed are. Verse six, blessed are. Verse seven, blessed are. Verse number eight, blessed are. Verse nine, blessed are. Verse ten, blessed are. Verse eleven, blessed are. And every time he says it personally, singular in the text, blessed are you. Christianity is not a group salvation, it is an individual salvation. It is not my mama got saved and so we all got saved. That's not the way it is. It's something between you and God alone. And so there are two things I lay before your heart if you want to get up close and personal with Jesus. He says, number one to you, he is calling you to surrender to what he's calling you to do. Some of the students would have said that this this morning in the first service haven't heard me. It was kind of just like a hand in glove compared to the weekend that we've gone through together. When I use the word surrender in this moment, some of you may take offense to that. I understand that. There's some things you better not surrender to. If they came in today, the, our government said, surrender your Bible. No. They said, you can't preach anymore, Keith. No. I will not surrender to that. If they'll say, close the church, no. We will not surrender to those things. If he said, denounce your faith, no. There are things you shouldn't surrender to. This is not what Jesus is teaching us here. It's a different surrender. I looked the word up in the Webster's Dictionary so that you and I would be on the same page. And Webster defines the word as this, to give oneself over to something. To give oneself over to someone or some influence. Take this moment and write this in your Bible, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. I, I want to read to you from Revelation about what John said about Jesus. He said this about Jesus, the one I'm asking you to surrender to. Listen to who he is. He is the one who is, has come. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the one who loves us. He's the one who's freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, preached to his God. He's our father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He who is who is and who was and is to come. That is the one that we surrender ourselves to. And some of you today need to grow up close and personal in who He is. Which many of us are too busy reading the books that people write about Jesus. There's only one book that will tell you everything about Jesus. When you read a book that I've written, I can only tell you what I've come to know. And that's a good thing. But the better thing is the one who himself wrote his own book about himself. And so in chapter number 5, the, the living Word of God goes to the mountain. He sits down, and he gets up and close with 12 people, and he says, Now listen, you 12, you one, I want you to surrender to what I'm calling you to do. Some of you come to this room today, and you have no understanding of this. You say, what do you mean? Some of you are saying, Pastor, it almost seems in this moment that you're asking us to get saved. I'm already saved. Pastor, I, I already prayed the prayer. 
What do you mean, sir? I already prayed the prayer. I, I asked many people, tell me about your conversion experience. And people will say this to me. Well, Keith, I, I, there was a certain Sunday the preacher's preaching. I went down and, and I prayed a prayer and I got baptized. Is that salvation? Is that what that really is? Is that what you and I have been told? Well, if that is the case, friend, why are we not up close with Jesus and awakening right now? Why are we not growing in a surrendered life? Why did Jesus, their very first message that he preached, why did he begin like this? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus teaches us his own word how to be surrendered. Number one is this, you must confess before God that you are spiritually bankrupt. Let me say it again, I'm spiritually bankrupt. Say it with me, I'm spiritually bankrupt. Many of you came to know the Lord because you prayed a prayer, but you didn't even know why you prayed. They told you you didn't want need to go to hell. And who, I mean, then describe what the Bible says about hell. We did it last night. Let me tell you, brother, well, ain't nobody wants to go to hell if it's really a place, and I believe it is a real place. So who's going to, I mean, preacher says, yeah, come over and pray this prayer so you won't go to hell. I, I'm the first one. Not me. I want to go on a different train. And so we were trained to pray that way. And so we prayed, but Jesus comes along and says, no, that's not what it is at all, that you must come to the place that you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt means this, that you have nothing to offer to God for God to, to bargain to let you into heaven. You are Romans 3 and 23 all over you, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You, 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 not only that, but listen to this, you've got to understand this, when you're spiritually bankrupt, you realize that not only do you have the ability to get right with God, you don't, you don't have the ability to live for God. You say, oh, I do the Ten Commandments. Yes, I know you don't kill, and the reason you don't kill is they put you in jail. You don't steal because they put you in jail. You may not, you may not commit adultery because the person that you committed with, their spouse, would kill you. You come to my house, you're going out. I'm just going to tell you. Now listen to this. But you do sin, and let's admit it now, you can't keep that coveting thing, can you? You slotted on your taxes. You slotted on your giving. Uh, you, you, you stole a pen somewhere. You were coveting. You snuck a look, guys, uh, at a gal. A gal, you snuck a look at and, and something you know, that you shouldn't have done. And you're there. Others of us, we, we, we said we served God, but we did not. No one can keep all the commandments. No one. So we're bankrupt before God. And, and celebrate recovery, we say it like this, that, that our lives are unmanageable apart from God. The person who really gets saved realizes this, that they cannot change their circumstance and that the kingdom life is beyond us. Adrian Rogers says this in his book about kingdom authority, that anybody who says, I prayed to receive Christ, are saying, I'm actually in charge. Anybody says, God, I'm going to give you this or going to give you that, that's not surrender. That just means I'm loaning you this, God, I'm giving you, but really I'm in control of that. And I want to tell you that that's not salvation. And some of you will try for a while. You'll want to live a good life. You'll try for a while. You'll get better and you'll go back. But the reason is this. You've never been really up close and personal with Jesus and come to a place. Can I say this? That you are a beggar. I want to tell you as a friend to you today that when God saved me, he didn't get much. Because I had nothing to offer. But he loved me so much that he looked down in the vile state where I was and he said, Keith, if you will say to me I'm spiritually bankrupt, I've already come to you and I'll save you. But not only that, Jesus said in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. 
What in the world does it mean to mourn? I suspect that some of us who say that we're surrendered may not know what that is. Listen, look on the screen. Here's what it is. We must confess before God that we're sorry for our sinful rebellion. I'm sorry for my sinful rebellion. Say it with me. I'm sorry for my sinful rebellion. When, when Jesus says this, this, this phrase to us in, in the text, it, for me, it came to life a year or so ago. Blessed are those who mourn. A mourning before someone is this, is saying that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my past. It's not a token apology to God. Some of you in this room don't get it because you say, Preacher, I'm just not following you because I got saved as a kid. I was seven years of age. I wasn't smoking dope. I was not out having premarital sex. I, I, I wasn't living a terrible life. I was seven years of age. And so, so I, I just gave my life to God. But understand something. You were just as vile as the one who did all those things. Your sin is in the front of When Christ went to the cross and they took, they took the hammer and put the nail in his hand, it was your seven-year-old sin that put that there. You are not better than other people. You did not save yourself. It was Christ who came down. And listen to me, one author's put it this way, my favorite author. He said this, no one is truly a Christian who's not mourned over his sin or her sins. You cannot be forgiven if you're not sorry for your sin. The saddest thing in life is not sorrow, a sorrowing heart, but a heart that's incapable of grief over sin without grace. There was this guy, this little guy, true story, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19. You know his name, Zacchaeus. Jesus went into Jericho. Not much happened in Jericho because Jericho had been destroyed by, by Joshua and had been rebuilt back. It was still a wicked place. So Jesus went to do ministry there. As he's going through the city, this guy who was a rich tax collector, not just an ordinary one, but a rich tax collector, goes outside the city. Jesus is coming out, and because he's short, he climbs up in a sycamore tree. He's probably there because no one likes him. And he's getting hiding from them. And Jesus comes by. Now what takes the first step. Stops right on the, at, at, the end, at the bottom of the tree and looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. Question. When someone says your name, what do they associate it with? That's Pastor Keith. No, it's not. That's the sinner, Keith. Nobody in my hometown knows me first as pastor. That's that little boy. That's that little boy that grew up right up under his mom's wing. That's the little boy who went to church. That little boy that didn't cuss, didn't spoke at you. That little boy, he was a good boy, but they didn't know my heart. That was that boy that, when he became a teenager, walked away for just a little while, even though he went to church all those days. See, they know me before Christ. And when I go back there, I'm always reminded of, of, my, of my past. And listen to me. Some of you think, oh, that's just the devil bringing up your past. I've been lived, you have. But have you really ever mourned for your sin? I was telling the first service, some of you were with me in the Bible study Wednesday morning in Galatians. As Paul talked about now that in chapter 4 of what we have in Christ, I shared with them how that, that a few weeks ago, I, I'm writing a, a book now on, on the life of David for a series next year called The Awakening Life. Awakened life. And, and, but as I'm studying uh, my brothers and sisters, I, I've been stuck in the life of Saul. If you know anything about Saul, what a wicked leader he was. But here's the thing, James 1 says this, a man should behold himself in a mirror and not forget what he's seen. And with all my heart, I tell you this, I, I said to myself, God, I see some characteristics of Saul 
in me. In me. Began to mourn my sin. So much so that I, I honestly asked God, am I really saved? You see, I think that we take such a light approach to our relationship with God. I know I'm saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ, but I know that I'm accountable after I'm saved. I wrote in my personal journal back during the days when I was going through this, my sin is viler than I ever imagined. I realize that God must break me greatly before He can use me greatly. He demands more than my token apology. Sin demands my true repentance. And the only way that I can ever, ever walk in newness of life is if I embrace the mourning that He says. For when you mourn, what does Jesus say? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do you remember it? I just, I just suggest to you that if you've prayed and received Christ and, and went home and, and just had your lunch and nothing changed in your life, that it may have been that it was, listen to this, it was a false conversion. If you're doing things right now that does not bother you, that you know that's wrong, you have so quenched the Spirit that it may be a reminder that you're not saved. There's a young man that I've been ministering to for years that, that from the moment that I met him, there was nothing in his life that reflected Christ, nothing at all. He would try his best to live right, but he couldn't. He was all over the board. He, he just could not live for God. And so I was on a plane with him for a long time one day, and I pressed into him, Brother Mike, and I said to him, I said, man, I don't believe that you're a Christ follower. He said, oh, yes, I am. We almost got into a fight. And I said, tell me, how did you know? He said this, I came to church, and he said, the preacher preached, and I went down front, and, and I prayed a prayer. The preacher put his arm around me, led me in that prayer, and he told me to come back next Sunday, and I got baptized. And he said, Keith didn't call me. The preacher said, Keith, I know. And I looked at him, and I said, if you know, why have you not surrendered? I speak to you today that many of you have a so-so faith but not a show-show faith. And this young man to this day is wicked and vile and falling farther away from the life that he should live. And the reason why is he's never got up close with you. Because when you do, there is just a broke. I remember when it came to my life, Chris, when the true brokenness came into my God flooded into my heart. And watch this. I was comforted, Michael. Whether you amen that or not, that's the truth. You can't quit it. Until you're saved. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. So he said, surrender. You, how do you surrender? God, I'm spiritually bankrupt. God, I'm sorry for my rebellion. But then notice what he says here in the text. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, the word meek there is an interesting word. Some translations use the word gentle. Some use the words humble. Do I have any humble people in the room? Don't raise your hand because it's a dead giveaway that you're not. Amen. How is it? Amen. What is humility? It is that you come to that place. Now watch that you are thankful. Now look at the screen. I confess before God that I'm so thankful for His salvation. Now watch. I'm thankful for His salvation. Say it with me. I'm thankful for His salvation. Jesus says, now watch, when you realize that you're bankrupt and you say, God, I'm sorry, he floods into your life and he saves you in that moment that you humble yourself and say, God, I need you. Are you, are you a humble person in this room? 
Are you a person that people are drawn to? Some of you would say, preacher, I'm just not me. I'm, I'm type A. I'm just, I'm just not, a, I, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just forceful. Well, let me tell you that humility is a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, it suggests you're not saved. Because when you get saved, that fruit comes to you. And in your new life, you will be humble. Not always, because you'll get back in the flesh. But there'll be a humbleness about you. Because I want to tell you this, the president of Russia, if he would say to God, I'm spiritually bankrupt and I'm sorry and repent for my rebellion, Jesus Christ would usher in him and make him a meek man. He'd turn his armies around and they'd go back to Russia and there'd be an awakening that would come to that place. And friend, let me tell you something, your Ukraine is your home. Your Ukraine is your school. It is this country that we live in, and it is falling apart because of a lack of humility for people not being thankful. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has laid down because it has forgotten who that we were without Him. But I'm here today to tell you this, that when Christ comes to be Lord of your life, you just you know what you do? Just back up and say, God, all to Jesus I surrender. So friend... Those of you that are fighting God today and fighting me in this moment in time, ask yourself this question. Have I surrendered? I prayed. No, 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 no. Anybody can pray. Is my home surrendered? Is my mouth surrendered? Is my wallet surrendered? And for me at my age now, is my future surrendered? Jesus said, blessed are the meek. You say, is that all there is? Oh, no, 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 no. No, after that, there's one other thing that Jesus says. It's right here in verse number 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He calls us to surrender, to listen to this, to what he's calling us to do. But secondly, he calls us, now notice this, he calls us to step into what he's calling you to do. You see, some people say, and I wrote about this in the book, and I was actually wrong when I I wrote about that we're to strive. It's not about striving because a man that strives, he's in charge. It's about surrender. And when you surrender, you take the step and let God do it in your life. Jesus here says, blessed is the person who's hungry and thirsting for what's right. Now look up this way and let's be honest. Some of you are like, I'm just struggling to go to church right now. Be honest. I'm struggling to read my Bible. I guarantee that over half of you in this room, that's the case. I'd say it's maybe 75%. I'm struggling to go to church. I'm struggling to read my Bible. I'm struggling to pray. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling there. I'm just struggling. And here is why it's because you have not stepped into what God has for you. You see, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't struggle a bit to come to church today. I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with tithing. I don't struggle with doing all the right things. You know why? The Bible says in in chapter number 37, the book of Psalms, it says this in in verse 6, if you'll delight yourself in God, He'll give you the desires of your heart. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? It means that you want what's right. Spurgeon said this, before I got saved, there are things that I hated, and then there are things that I liked. But then when I got saved, they flip-flopped. Now, has that been a flip-flop for you? They, they, they change places. He said this. Some people say, well, Christianity is a religion, things you do and things you don't want to do. In other words, some of you go to church in places, but don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. When I got saved, they didn't have to tell me that anymore because I knew what I didn't want to do. So if you're struggling with doing the right thing, it's because you're wanting to do the wrong thing. 
So I, no, I don't like that preacher. No, no, no. If you come one out of three Sundays, I know what you want to do. If you don't serve him, I know what you want to do. Oh, no, preacher, that's just too hard. I, I'm telling you. When you get up close and personal with Jesus, you know what you are? You're like some of these students are. What can I do? You're like some of the leaders, like Jeremy and his family, leading his own family to Christ. You don't think that old boy, we ain't going to make him a deacon? Don't you think we ain't going to do that with him and his family? Because listen, here's a guy that's righteous, not made by Christ, and says, I'll I, I sign it up. And friends, some of you today are just one step away, one step away from the greatest movement in your life. You get saved. Others of you, you say, preach, I know I've done it. I've walked away from God. Isn't it time that you step up and come home? Some of you have the grace of potential, but you know what you've done? Anybody in the room got a bonsai tree? Anybody in the room? Amen. Amen. Do you, do you keep it, cut it, and do it all that needs to be done? A bonsai tree has the capacity to grow just like other pine trees. I know it's a different family. But you know it never does because the people that are in charge of the tree, what do they do? Clip. Clip. I'm telling you to the day I die, I will not be a spiritual bonsai tree. I will not listen to my flesh that says, hey, that's good enough. You've done enough. Try the ways of the world. Settle it down. No, 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 no. I believe our best days are ahead of us as a church. We're seeing people come to know the Lord. We're seeing churches grow. We're planning churches. We're part of so many things God's doing. I'm, see, I'm seeing, listen to me, I've seen people in this church sign up for public office, people get, getting out of their houses, getting in the church, people doing things differently than they've ever done before, claiming their house, claiming their family, claiming their city, claiming their county, their state, and the world. And, friend, that's the people that are not bonsai Christians. That's our surrendered Christians. You've said a thousand times, I want to do better. God's told you how. It's now your turn to step up. Thank you for taking the time to find God's answers to life's greatest issues. We hope that you would reach out to us at info at jacksonfbc.com with your questions and check out more of our ministries at jacksonfbc.com.